It's been 90 days since our last podcast. The world has changed in many ways since then. Our thoughts go out to you and we wish you and your families the very best of health. It's only a tiny step in the right direction, but PGA Tour Golf returns this week and we cannot wait. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 117. We are discussing the Charles Swab Challenge on the PGA Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Preview at Golf Betting System. And with me, we have Golf Betting Systems European Tour expert Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan. It's good to have you back, chaps. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Good to be back. Indeed it is. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. How many days do you say, Steve? 90-something? 90, 90 days. 90 days. A lot of water fe- under the bridge since then. It feels like you a could... few years plus 90 days, doesn't it, really? Yeah. It does, very much so. Um, we'll, 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 discuss, we'll discuss where we're up to in a few seconds. Let's just go through the intro quickly. Golf Betting System is our website with betting previews, masses of, t- of tournament statistics, and our predictor model, all available completely free of charge. Please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. Naturally, we're available on social media. On Twitter, Paul is at Golf Betting. I'm at Bamford Golf. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. And please look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Please take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This is the podcast currency and drives our listener numbers continually upwards. As ever, for those of you who leave a review... I will read them out at the start of next week's show, which would be the RBC Heritage, if all runs to plan, if there is such a thing as a plan these days. I've got a, um, I've got a review here, gentlemen. Uh, this one is from Mike Tullow via Apple Podcasts. He lives in the US of A. Uh, great podcast, great information, five stars. As an American... This is like listening to Michael Caine talk intelligently about golf. What more could you want? Question mark. So, Steve, the question is: Is it you, or, Michael Caine? Yeah, is it you? Or, is it you or me that they, these uh, these guys think sound like Michael Caine? I've never got my head around that. No, I think it must be you. I mean, I don't know how you could get your head around it with it being so big right now, Steve. Getting a compliment like that, man. <laughs> Thanks for the thanks for the comments, Mike. That's very nice and kind of you to take the time to write that review. It is. Us. It's very nice. We've we've got a few more to read through over the coming weeks, but I would love um, some some new reviews from you. It really does help with the podcast. Just to uh, to tell Apple Podcasts that it's a popular podcast and well uh, well revered. If you see what I mean. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my my hair is just unbelievable at the moment. I've never had longer hair, and it looks absolutely hideous. I, I did notice that you'd left a uh, cap on for the uh, the video. Well, yeah, but the- did you see the hair sprouting out the sides of it? It couldn't contain the hair. <laughs> you look like that hobo out of Happy Gilmore, the caddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, no, I've got a pair of clippers here, Steve, and um, I've gone for yeah. a self-inflicted haircut, which um, yeah. has had mixed what? results. My wife won't cut my hair, so I'm in, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Maybe in July, you never know, Paul, we might actually get some um, barbers um, opening up here in the UK. Get yourself on YouTube, Steve. There's plenty of self, 
um, haircut videos and tutorials mm. to uh, to get get the job done, and just get the wife to uh, to do the back to to finish you off, as it were. If there are how are you how are you how are you finding things in Ireland, Barry? I was just about to say, if there's any uh, farmers out there who listen to the podcast and are handy with the sheep shears, Steve is uh, will pay <laughs> will pay handsomely. Yeah, I don't know if I'd catch the flight across though. That's the only danger. <laughs> no, things are good here, um, as good as you can be, I guess. So we've had uh, we've had golf for the last few weeks for uh, people that live close to their courses. We had a five kilometer um, kind of uh, radius that you could travel from your house. And fortunately, my golf club was four point nine 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 four kilometers so, from my house. So um, that's handy. Yeah, and even if it was over the five, I would have just drilled straight through the earth to get rid of the curve. Anyway, so look, I've been able to get out and play golf, so that's been um, keeping me sane. It's just a nice uh, a nice escape from the whole thing. You know, phone goes away, out in the golf course, it's just back, it feels like life is back to normal. So it's good, and it's kind of, it's fun playing casual golf. We play so much competitive golf here. Uh, you know, we get to play golf on the weekends, usually it's like, competition Saturday competition Sunday so going out to play casual golf has turned into midweek evenings with a couple of beers and some music playing so it's a very very different style of golf but it's good fun um I mean coronavirus cases are going down and um you know things are starting to open up here so um just need the weather to pick back up and there'll be no complaints really brilliant stuff it's been crazy just from a betting perspective, hasn't it? There's, li- I mean, I'm, I'm trying to go back to kind of the early days when um, things shut. We had the Cheltenham Festival over here pretty much the week that everything started to close down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within a couple of weeks, there was literally only American horse racing that you could bet on from uh, from Florida and Oklahoma, states like that. And the Belarusian uh, under twenty oh, yes, reserves, yeah. yeah, the Belarusian Premier League. It was crazy, just absolutely crazy. Nothing at all for you know for the casual punter to have a bet on. Really, well, I don't know about you guys. I went through um, probably six weeks, eight weeks, where I literally didn't have a yeah. bet at yeah, all. Bet, no. Which yeah, no, um, is true. Even on the closed season for golf, I tend to have a dabble in you know football or. Um, bit of racing or something, but there was literally nothing to bet on, was it? And um, you know, I'm not going to get involved in the Belarusian under twenty reserves. That's just uh, that's no, a step no. step too far for me. But. I mean, I the think the thing was usually like, having a bet makes events a little bit more enjoyable or kind of adds a bit more intrigue to them. But the fact that things weren't on meant I didn't really miss that kind of uh, bit of a buzz about having a bet on something. So no. the first bet I had was on the um, the first uh, exhibition match, the Rory McIlroy, the tailor-made one. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I backed Ricky's team because they were two to one in a two-horse race. I thought it was ridiculous and mm. they should have won it. But, Came uh, mighty close, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but look, whatever. <laughs> um, move on and now we've got this like major this week it really is the field strength is absurd oh, it is mad isn't it what's, what's the strength is it 74 or something the OWGR um... 6-16 of the world's top 20 mm. I was trying to work through who weren't involved Adam Scott he just tends to pick his own schedule anyway uh, Cantley isn't playing um, Tiger can't. Tiger of course yeah. and, and one other who 
escapes me. I could look on the official World Golf Ranking um, website, but I'm not going to. But yeah, it's a loaded field. 148 players. Um, and it's being played. The Charles Swab Challenge, which um, has a traditional home. It's basically the uh, colonial country club in Fort Worth uh, in Texas. Um, a very old-style classical golf course. Uh, and we're looking at a short golf course as well. 7,209 yards. It plays as a par 70. Um, it's a bit of a strange one in the fact that it's classical. It's quite claustrophobic. Lots and lots of dog legs. Very similar to the course that they're going to be playing next week, which is uh, Harbour Town, Hilton Head, the RBC Heritage, which is scheduled for next week. Very, very similar. But this golf course is a little bit strange in the fact that it features bent grass greens, the first time we've seen bent grass greens in 2020, but also it features Bermuda grass rough, and it's rare that you get that mix of bent grass putting surfaces and Bermuda grass gnarly rough, so that's something to uh, potentially look out for. But bent grass greens, uh, last year there was plenty of wind around, and this golf course actually played as the seventh hardest on the PGA Tour, although I don't expect it to play that tough this week with no real wind in the forecast. No, but often, yeah, I, I, I always like this tournament. I always think it's a, it's an interesting golf tournament to watch. Yeah, it often can get windy in Texas, full stop, can't it? Yeah. It's, uh, a lot of the Texan events that you can review over the years will feature wind, but it does add a different dynamic to it, which is quite likely to bring the winning score down, I think, this, this week. Now the interesting, the interesting thing with this PGA Tour resumption is clearly um, professional sport in America is very limited at the moment. You've got a bit of uh, UFC, a bit of NASCAR, but apart from that, PGA Tour is the, the first real organisation to get up and running. And with the with the dearth of betting events, um, you know, globally and here in Europe, over here in the UK and the Republic of Ireland, especially. What you're finding is that bookmakers are going absolutely crazy this week. And as you said, Barry, they're virtually treating it as a major. We've got Paddy Power, who have gone 10 places each way of 50 odds this week. It's the first non-major I can think of that's ever offered 10 places. I yeah. can't think of another time. No, I think they, they did it the uh, the players, but you could class the players in that kind of category, couldn't you? But, but yes, yeah. as a regular PGA Domestic. Tour event, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You've also got a host of bookmakers who have gone eight places each way as well. Um, Boyle Sports, who, as we know this year, have been really, really good in terms of their each way places offered. But interestingly enough, William Hill, we'll, we'll go into that in a, in a short while about William Hill. Um, I just wanted to quickly run through um, the top 10 of this week's predictor model, if you wouldn't mind, gentlemen. Um, it's something that we said that we would uh, highlight on the podcast ongoing. Um, effectively, a statistical model uh, that Paul manages and pulls together the data for um, in terms of pulling together this 148-man field and just seeing who statistically comes to the front. It's tailor-made. It's actually flexible in the fact that you can use it. It's a, it's a web front end, and you can pull together your own tailor-made predictions. These are the top 10 that I came up with. Um, 10, Rory McIlroy. 9, Kevin Nahr. Eight, Kevin Kisner. Seven, Justin Rose. You've got three colonial winners there, nine through seven. Rose, Kisner and Nar have all won around here. Nar defending this week. Six is Dustin Johnson. Five is Brooks Kepka. He's uh, available 
uh, on the basis that he's also had one outing here and finished second. He's mm. available at 28-1 to one this week. Kuchar at four. Spieth at three. There's going to be so many people backing Spieth this week. John Rahm at two. And number one is Webb Simpson. Any thoughts on anyone popping out there, guys, on in that top ten that you didn't expect to see or you're pretty keen on? I, I, I struggle with Webb full stop. I know I'm putting in the minority, but um, statistically... He's very, very, very difficult to get rid of this week. I mean, the, the model brings it out perfectly, as you said. But uh, even just eyeballing yeah. the numbers this week, Simpson was jumping to the top of an awful lot. You of actually, stats. you actually get a GBS score, don't you, Paul? And he's sitting just a smidge under two thousand points. The next highest is at seventeen seventy. That's John Rahm. So you know he, he's topped by quite a distance. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A good ten percent. If you uh, yeah, if you were to to put this into winning totals, you'd put him at circa twenty under, I guess, and. Mm. You know, a two two or three shot win. So, um, yeah, I can see why he's been popular this week. Um, I, as I, said, I do struggle with him personally, but that's just a just a personal thing. Uh, but yeah, I, and, and Spieth Spieth got a fantastic record around here, hasn't he? And uh, mm. as you said, he's going to be fantastically popular this week, despite the way that he was playing prior to the break. And this is the big dilemma this week, isn't it? Of course, is do we consider? how players were playing prior to the suspension of PGA Tour. Um, do we look at the small amount of data that we've got from the likes of the Outlaw Tour, etc., that's been played in the meantime? Yep. Do we disregard it all completely? And I guess going back to the predictor, you, you've got a choice here because we've included those results from those minor tours over the last few weeks. We've also included the data from the likes of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Honda Classic, um, the WGC Mexico and Puerto Rico, which were played the final three weeks prior to the uh, suspension. So I guess there's different ways to spin it and cut it yourself. And uh, um, the predictor actually allows you to do that this week to your heart's content. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure you can play around with it and come up with a different set of answers to the ones that uh, that we've got here. But it all seems quite plausible where you've come to in terms of your conclusions, Steve. Where where are you at, Barry, in terms of thoughts around form post suspension of the PGA Tour? Are you are you have you holding that in any stead at all? You're not interested. You're just going to go on, on players that you think will fit things that you've seen on Twitter or Instagram or where are you at? Um, I heard Pat Mayo last week and Jeff Feinberg. Sorry, not last week. Yesterday, saying on their on their particular podcast that. Jeff's very keen on younger, non, uh, non-parenting sorts that he calls them range rats, guys that have just been out there. You know, your your Sung Jims just to keep going and playing well on the basis that all they've been doing is playing golf effectively. I think that's a really good approach um, because they have the time. You know, the guys with families will have like dove into having that extra family time, which is a big bonus for them that they ordinarily wouldn't have. Uh, you'd think that would have more of a negative impact on their golf game than a positive, but then it could change their whole mindset by you know having a good time with the kids and family. So yeah. I think I think it is a good angle though to to choose to let's say th- those younger range rats who you know they'll see this as a serious opportunity um, and be kind of gunning to you know, get a win in a really strong field. Um, they might perceive themselves to have an advantage over those family guys as well. 
So, uh, you know, just that little extra ping of motivation. I, I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I haven't gone out and, you know, trolled through Twitter and Instagram and seeing who, you know, see who's posting stuff and who's out playing and practicing. And uh, that's not what I've done. I, I think anybody that was playing really well beforehand can, you know, have a little look back on that and, you know, draw from that. And hopefully that'll help them kickstart the game again. They're in a better position than anybody who was playing poorly when the when the break happened. Mm. Yeah, although they should have had a chance to uh, spend the last three months correcting whatever issue that they may sure. have had. Which, yeah. um, it's, it's, a, it's a dilemma, isn't it? It's it's yeah, and it's so also hard. whether you can you can actually transfer that to the competitive side of things. The other thing I was going to ask you, Barry. I mean, Paul and I have a hack around our local golf club, and um, you know, we we understand the basics of golf, but you you clearly play at a, a quite a good level from an amateur perspective. How are the, how is this new setup in terms of courses going to affect tournaments? You think so? Clearly, no crowds. We've got no grandstands, and we've got no, um, you know, executive areas, no stands, no in, no no impediments effectively on the golf courses moving forward. They're going to be pure golf courses that you you know that you and I would play at if we went to play. Mm. Well, I'm not talking in terms of actual agronomy and the speeds, yeah. but in terms of the look and the feel. Well, how do, how do you think that's going to? In terms of what we should be looking for, do you think? that changes what we've been seeing up to this point in terms of skill sets? Well, you know, speaking from my vast experience of playing in front of at most three, four people at a time, uh, the people in my group, um, it's, I think it'll be interesting um, to see the guys play without crowds to not have those, um, let's say, buffers to stop the ball or trample down mm. the grass. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think you're going to have to add a little bit more weight to uh, accuracy off the short tee. Short game. Mm. Um, yeah, short game as well, because, you know, if the crowds are, you know, you know that, that little bit off the green, fine. But, you know, that little bit further back, you don't have the grandstands anymore. So you don't have this ability to grandstand your ball, you know, just airmail it over the green if there's water short. So I think it kind of goes back to a little bit more of that... Um, childhood way of playing golf or pre-pro way of playing golf uh, or pre-elite pro level way of playing golf with those crowds and grandstands so maybe 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 that you know back to that Feinberg angle about the you know the recent college grads who are used to playing in tournament conditions yeah. Yeah. you know and amped up pressure but without crowds and without grandstands you know this could mm. this could play into their uh, into their hands it's um it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool to see because I did I enjoyed watching the two exhibition matches where the guys were mic'd up and there was no crowds you just get them you get to see them play the golf course and that's it there's nothing else interfering with it um and I think it'll be it'll be cool for us to as viewers to see some of these golf courses without the crowds there so you see them as they're intended to be played on a day to day basis yeah mm. yeah. Definitely, I, I I agree with you in, in the accuracy element. It'd be interesting to see. I don't know if we'll get a stat of it at the end. But interesting to see how many additional pen, penalties are incurred for mm. lost balls this week, because clearly with a lot of spectators and spotters and officials, there's ways and means of very wayward shots getting found quite quickly. But with far far fewer players, or far far fewer people on the course. 
some of these seriously wayward shots may well take some finding. Yeah, and uh, and there's going to be no trampling, is there? No, absolutely. Yeah, this is it. You know, going back to to the hack hack that you and I had, Steve. You know, we slightly (laughs) off the fairway, kind of kind of forty Uh, yards. We were losing. (laughs) Sorry, you. I was going to say we. You were losing balls quite quite a few, weren't you? But we only only needed to be ten yards off the fairway. Absolutely, ten yards off the fairway, and um, you're struggling to find a ball. So. Um, you know, clearly mm. these these professionals are far better and for, far more capable than that. But so I'd be I'd be surprised if there's a significant jump in the number of lost balls and penalties incurred as a result of that this week. We should that, yeah, that combined with it being the first one back, so we're gonna have some. You're gonna see some wild drives this week. They'll just <laughs> creep in. So uh, yeah, and these are these are tight fairways, very very tight at Colonial. Yeah. So I, my my gut feel on this was it did for me put a premium on guys that have got a very strong, accurate driving game, and also when you just look at previous winners of this, your likes of Rose Kisner, Kevin Nah last year, they had in a previous outing been very very strong off the tee. I'm talking single digit driving accuracy. A tight golf course in in a, in the build up, mm. so you know that that put me off a lot of players. It has to be said. Um, we'll go into a bit more detail around that in a second. Just want to highlight a couple of things. Um, I'm going to put a link in the description box to our um, form stats that are available for free at Golf Betting System. I know it's something that some of you. Um, won't have used in the past if you were a regular listener just going to put a link through to our um, form stat sheet and also there's a combi stat sheet which is useful which basically combines um, current form so that's form before the suspension allied to course form so that's quite a useful tool that Paul and I use a lot Um, secondly I just wanted to highlight and we were talking at the top of the show about bookmaker promotions and bookmaker offers Right now, uh, it's clear that William Hill have um, proactively uh, gone for the jugular this week in terms of the Charles Swab Challenge. As of now, and we're recording this um, 11 o'clock over here in the U- UK, um, we're finding that William Hill are pretty much top price on every player up to the 55-1 to 1 mark. That being Gary Woodland, Matthew Fitzpatrick and defending champion Kevin Nahr. So they are top price on every player from Rory McIlroy up to that 55-1 to 1 spot. Also, and this is a new um, departure for William Hill, they have gone eight places each way this week of 50 odds. And just when I was pulling together my tips yesterday morning with Paul, uh, three of the four players I tipped up, we tipped up on William Hill because you're getting that great balance of fantastic prices and eight places each way. Um, unbeatable effectively this week. We've got a offer available at Golf Betting System this week with William Hill where you can have an uh, an expanded or enhanced bet £10 or €10 Euros and get £40 or €40 Euros in free bets for UK and Republic of Ireland residents, uh, new customers. You have to sign up via your mobile phone. You also have to quote the promo code W40, whiskey40, and you will receive up to, uh, sorry, you will receive £40 in free bets 
once you have placed your qualifying first £10 bet. Full terms and conditions available at Golf Betting System. But you have to say this week, new departure for William Hill, fantastic odds and that enhanced new customer offer available at Golf Betting System. Long may it continue from William Hill. Okay, I've gone through the predictor model. Uh, gone through the best bookmaker this week. Let's actually get into some of the nitty-gritty around this tournament. As I said, 7,200-yard golf course. It's classical. It's tight. It's an old-style affair. Looking at the fairway width, we were talking about that a second ago in terms of accuracy off the tee. At 300 yards, Barry, this plays on average colonial at 27 yards wide. Now, comparing that to somewhere like TPC Sawgrass, that's 30 yards wide at Sawgrass and if we went back to Bay Hill at 300 yards 33 yards wide at average so we're looking at six yards thinner in terms of uh, fairway width here colonial compared to say Bay Hill Um, so they are thin old fairways to hit and with this gnarly Bermuda grass rough all you read from players is that it makes recovery shots difficult in terms of flyers and as we know Bermuda rough and getting flyers is something that pros don't like at all. Yeah. Just that 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 lack of consistency when you're standing in the rough above a reproach shot. Is it going to fly? Is it not going to fly? Yeah, yeah. And these wayward shots that would have ordinarily landed in trampled down areas are just going to land in thick, juicy rough this time, aren't they? So it's great. I love it. <laughs> Punish them. Yeah. They should, you know, it's going to be good to see. They're playing for big money. Let, let, let's, let's see them work for it, shall we? Mm. Um, winning scores here. Kevin Nar 13 under last year. That was a particularly gnarly renewal, has to be said, in terms of wind. 2018, Justin Rose won at 20 under. Uh, Kevin Kisner at 10 under in 2017. And Jordan Spieth at 17 under in 2016. I think that we are going to see a winning score of between 17, 18, 19 under par this week. I think if you if you're firing in straight sixty fives, you're not going to be too far away. No. Anything around the sort of sixty six mark is going to be day in day out across the four days is going to be close to getting you in the each way money. I think. Yeah, I can see that. It's more than scorable round here when the conditions are tactile. And um, yesterday it looked like Thursday could be gusting up to twenty mph. Overnight that forecast has changed. It looks like for seventy two holes. We are going to see sub 10 mile an hour wind. So it's scorable. The other thing is, and this is something to bear in mind, up to 35 degrees Celsius in terms of air temperature. So that says to me, especially on the basis that there hasn't been any significant rain here since the 25th of May, I think we're going to see firm running fairways, pretty gnarly rough because they did have over 180 millimetres of rain in May. But they are going to have to water these greens. Mm. So I think the greens are going to be quite receptive. In the mornings, yeah. I guess by the end yeah. of the day, they're going to be uh, drying out. They're going to out, baking out, yeah. Which might make for an interesting Sunday afternoon shootout for the uh, for the final final few groups. Do you think that would um, give I'll... somebody an opportunity uh, like to hold a bet, bet or two back for Sunday and maybe look for somebody to do a Sunday charge and post a score from a few groups back? Quite, yeah, quite possible. Potentially. Quite possible. Because you can get some low scores around here, Steve, can't you? You can get people in the very low 60s when conditions allow. 
I think Nash shot sixty one, didn't he? I think he's course record holder. I'm yeah. guessing on that one. Yeah. So don't don't shoot me, uh, listeners, if I've got that slightly wrong. I remember him the shooting sixty two when he, he shot sixty two when I was on uh, Charlie Hoffman first round leader a couple of uh, couple of years. Well, of course, I remember that. Um, three of the last four winners of this actually went into the final round in first spot. Kevin Kisner was fourth, but you go back, you, you've got Adam Scott coming. Effectively, it tends to be players within the top four last 10 years that win this. Uh, we did have Adam Scott winning back in 2014. He was 11th entering the final round. But yeah, this is it. We don't know, do we? With new course. Um, I even read Mark Leishman say something last week about he, he he's... Um, concerned about the lack of crowds because A, he doesn't practice a lot and B, so he's not used to playing in front of no crowd mm-hmm. and how's that going to affect his mentality and being able to get up for the actual competition so you know, there's, there's going to be we don't know sitting here, do we? We're only going to find this out once the action actually starts It's going to affect players differently, isn't it? Some players clearly thrive off the the atmosphere, some of them completely block it out, they're just uh, focused mm. on their game and uh, perhaps those kind of more stoical types are going to feel more comfortable in, the, in, in a less yeah, less atmospheric conditions. On an old style golf course, which Colonial is, from a skill set perspective, we also see both kinds of player that can win this. So basically short, short game experts that are hot with the scrambling and hot with a putter of one around here, uh, Jordan Spieth being one of them, Chris Kirk... We've also seen pure ball strikers win here. Adam Scott in 2014, Justin Rose in 2018. And as we, you know, classical golf courses, old style, um, you just get that. You know, it's basically course management. It's basically who plays best on the week tends to get the job done on courses like this. Just looking at the, uh, the, key, uh, the key skill sets in terms of traditional stats, so, you know, driving distance, driving accuracy, whatever. Taking the last 10 winners, driving distance, the average across the fir- the 10 winners, last 10 winners, 36th. So that just says power doesn't really yeah. tame Colonial. The most, um, the most outlandish statistic in terms of the one that tends to uh, be the, the, the closest to look at is putting average, strokes per, uh, putts per GIR, 8th. That's the... That's the most consistent stat across the uh, the last 10 winners. In terms of strokes gained, uh, taking Nart, Rose, Kisner and Spieth last four years, strokes gained off the T, 14th, averages out at, strokes gained approach, 14th, strokes gained around the green, 21st, strokes gained T to green, 4th, strokes gained putting, 7th. Doesn't really tell you a great deal. The last two winners, though, Rose and Nart, have both topped strokes gained approach the two years that they won. Yeah, yeah. I think in in a nutshell, from what you said, is it isn't about distance. It's and and from there, it's a variety of different types of game can contend from high greens and regulation players to to those who just putt particularly well on the week. Um, which is often the case, isn't it? On a classical kind of track, you often do yeah, see yeah. different types of players come to the come to the fore. Which bomb and gouge is as effective here as anything else. I mean, look at uh, Tony Finau last year, year before that, Brooks Kepka. But ultimately, they haven't actually won. It's been a Nar, it's been a Kisner, it's been a Spieth, it's been a player of that ilk yeah. that's been able to actually make the putts drop when they needed to. That's actually won around here. Yeah, I tell you one thing that really stuck out for me from your preview, Steve, was the. And bent grass what, my green. spelling. <laughs> we got a spell checker to, to deal with that. The um, the bent grass green winners in, historically and how they correlated to this 
track over the years and there's an awful lot of players in your list there which is clearly is quite a long list of players who've won on a pure bentgrass track over their career um, 12 years but so uh, there's a lot of correlation there between players that have contended and done well here over the years and uh, and your list so um, yeah, that's interesting i mean listen to this guys yeah uh, since 2008 pure bentgrass green victories Topped out, number seven wins apiece, Rory McIlroy, who makes his tournament debut, and Justin Rose. And then the next uh, highest is five PGA Tour wins on bent grass greens. Zach Johnson, Jordan Spieth. So you've got three colonial winners there in the top four most winning bent grass green players in the, since 2008. Yeah. yeah, it does strike me as a very bent grass green positive kind of track if you're looking to... Uh, to, to whittle down a list of players to to a smaller shortlist, um, that's a good place to start. I think your list. Though. That's another. That's a huge. Air, that's a huge angle. I also think. You know, if you're in Florida and you've been doing all of your practice in uh, in Florida, mm. uh, have you been able to actually practice on bent grass greens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd have been or are they literally you? are they literally turning up in Texas on Sunday Monday, going onto the putting surfaces and saying this is the first time I've putted on bent grass for yep. six months? Yeah, and it feels different. Mm. Might put an advantage to those that are based in Texas, you know. Yeah, it could do, it could do. Or the Europeans, although you know, clearly most of the players will have been over in the US for a significant period of time for, mm. for you know, so then so they're not quarantining, etc. I wonder. If- I looked. I looked at um, guys on their seasonal debut and how they'd performed in terms of top five, top tens, and I looked at the top of the the market in terms of prices. Um, I found Rory McIlroy has never won a season opener, but listen to this: he's finished in the top five nine times out of ten, <laughs> so a ninety percent success rate top five on his season debut. Mm. So I'm just looking at players that can hit the ground running after five, six, seven weeks of non-competitive action at the start of a calendar year, yeah, effectively. Next up, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, in six outings since 2015, he's finished four times in the top five. That's 67%. And actually, you look at Fitzpatrick, the way he plays the game, you would have thought Colonial fits his yeah. game quite nicely. Yeah. Next up, Louis Oosthausen. From 10 competitive season openers, he's won four times, finished in the top five, six times, and in the top eight, ten, uh, sorry, in the top ten, eight times. Mm. Bearing in mind that he starts most seasons in South Africa against very poor fields, but even so, can clearly hit the ground running competitively after a few months off. Uh, Justin Thomas, 50% success rate, top five in, uh, across uh, six season openers. And then you get the likes of Webb Simpson at 40% and Xander Schofle at 40%, top fives. I just thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, and I think it is an interesting angle to look at this week because clearly those players who are able to uh, to get to hit the ground running, as you say, um, are gonna, it's, it's almost like a post-Christmas restart, isn't it? Um, it will be longer than that uh, stretch than a lot of players won't have... Uh, one I played for uh, between the end of the PGA Tour season and then uh, the start again in January. So that was typically, what, six weeks or so, whereas this has been double that and all thereabouts. So 
But yeah, interesting angle. And I do think there's players who need to get back into that kind of competitive mindset and mould before they can really start to, to play their best golf. Before I talk about my uh, selections, Barry, walk me through where you're up to in terms of your betting strategy this week. Um, I'm trying to get away from the blind dart at the field. <laughs> it's It's just so hard to pick one or two things to find to tune in on as as part of your strategy because there's so many variables coming into play this week so i think i'm i'm kind of going to focus on guys who are a little bit uh you know kind of battlers and fighters i do like the idea that speeth you know i think he could go well this week he could come out then again he still has to I guess prove it a little bit from his uh, his slump, but you know somebody like Kevin Kisner, um, mm. you know that plays well in the classical courses has that kind of grit and grind, and you know I I think it's going to be interesting to see how many guys come out this week absolutely pinpoint sharp with their uh, their long game. I think it'll be you know the exception rather than the rule to have that this week. So I think that might. Lend itself to a few more of those kind of scramblers being uh, up the leaderboard. So, say, like maybe six or seven out of the top 10 being scramblers rather than ball strikers. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of where my head's if at. You mi- if you miss a green this week, you're in a bit of trouble, aren't you? You know, you're Corey Connors type that are absolutely metronomic tee to green, but when they do miss a green, they no- normally make bogey because yeah. they cannot scramble. Mm. It's going to be difficult for them, I think. Potentially, yeah, there's some interesting dynamics at play. It's... Unless they're playing so exceptionally well, they're just literally hitting 16, 17 greens around. Yeah, as I say, but the, I think these greens are going to going to get firm by the end of the days. I think they, they're going to start start relatively receptive, and I think they will get. Uh, they are small firm. as well. Yep, only five thousand square feet, which is some of the smallest greens on tour. Yeah. So you have you've got to be so precise with your approaches. Mid-iron, of course. Is it, I wouldn't even say mid-iron, is it? I think the key area here is about 150 through 175 in yeah. terms of yardage. Yeah. I read a point Kevin R made. He said something about all I, all I try and do is hit the white marker in the fairway because I know from 150 and out, there aren't many players better in terms of approaches with irons than me. Mm. And that's That was his strategy last year and it won, he won. Yeah, and on a, on a track that's 7,200 yards, you can manage your way around to that if that is your, mm. that is your game plan. I must say, I did like Kisner, and statistically, he actually filled the board in terms of what you would look for here. I'm talking also that those a lot of those numbers are from last year, but we've seen that with Kevin Nair, actually. Statistically, most of his numbers were from the previous season, but it, just in terms of the shape of player that those stats show you, Kisner is, is absolutely perfect for around here, as you would know, because he's won around here. Yeah. It's, that, it's that kind of... Grinder, isn't it? Who's who's got a very sh- a very good approach and short game when required, and who can clearly putt well. Mm. I mean, Kisner and Nar are pretty similar, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Consider logic. Who's going to lead us off then in terms of our selections? Well, I, I've only got two and one the same as you, so I think you've got four, haven't you? So. Do you want to kick off with one or two and then we can uh, start to fill in some gaps? It's not difficult, is it, for me? 
you know, I, I can be very boring with my selections, and, and Webb Simpson is one of those boring sorts that I just couldn't avoid. Could not avoid him because statistically he's so damn good. Yeah. And also, he's actually got a third and a fifth here from his last, I think, three or four outings. Um, it just feels right for me, Simpson. He's first so far this season, par four birdie or better, which isn't so bad on a golf course that only features two par fives. Um, he's great in terms of his proximity. He's seventh on the tour for proximity to hole this year. And also, I think there's something here about holding putts from outside 25 feet. Someone that can hold distance putts makes this difference here. And Simpson was 18th from that range outside of 25 feet last year. And so far, he's top 40 this season. Um, five of his six victories have been on bent grass or bent grass topped greens. And he absolutely thrives on par 70s. You don't see too many players that actually get better results on par 70s than par 72s these days. No, it tends, the, yeah, it tends to be the, the players that are either more the short accurate guys, or shorter, yeah, it's, that really aren't able to overpower these fives. He lives at Quail Hollow, so I would have thought he just literally walks out the back, back uh, his back gate onto the golf course. I wouldn't have thought practising would have been a problem. Um, I saw an interview with him last week where he said he had been practising really, really hard of late. Uh, and he was really read, ready to go. That Colonial is one of his favourite golf courses that he plays each and every year. Um, and he's in the top 10 in the world. I just thought 22 was a fair price. Although I did see a price tweeted out yesterday from an American book. He was on. He was up at 30 to 1, which I found absolutely wow. amazing. 30 to 1 on Webb Simpson. Mm. I'd have been all over that like a rash. So yeah, 22 to 1. When you actually see the fact as well that in that seasonal outing data... Simpson sits, uh, he's had four top fives in 10 attempts and five top tens in those last 10 season openings. You know, so basically, he's, he's hit the top 10 five out of 10 times. I just couldn't turn him away, really. So he was my lead bet this week, Webb Simpson. And also, you do tend to get players here with really obvious course form that just come and win it one year, like Kevin Nard did last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a strong correlation with course forms. When I look through the list, um, going back, well, for the, the last, you know, good, what, 15 years or so, the only player that didn't have a top 20 round here prior to victory was Adam Scott. I think you have to go back all the way to 2001, 2000, something like that. Is it Steve Flesh? Yeah, Steve Flesh was the... Um, no, no, it's Nick Nick Price, one of the two. And um, one of those sort of bit scruffy. But uh, yeah, you have to go back a long way before you find someone who didn't have a top 20 around here before winning. So uh, course form. Well, a, a decent course result at some point in the past looks like a fair indicator as well. There's also st that stat out there about age, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, the one from Kenny said, Kim. Yeah, yeah that's Kenny it. Kim that said something like since two thousand and one, only Jordan Spieth has won at an age younger than thirty. Mm. So Simpson at thirty four just fits the mould. Yeah. In fact, half the winners here since two thousand and one have been over forty. Yeah, and again, that kind of flies in the face of the, um, the, the you know, the, the, the stat that you're, you or the approach that you were mentioning from Jeff Feinberg earlier in terms of these mm. young kind of young. Range rats, and I think this epitomises the whole event and the approach is that there are a lot of factors here that you could you could build a case or a logic around, and it could be 
it could be a masterstroke or could be fatally flawed, couldn't it? So it's. Uh, I wonder what the average age of the field was in those years, though. Is it a classical course would uh, attract the the classical player who's generally that little bit older? Mm. Yeah, yeah, potentially. And 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 they could see themselves as being able to compete on a more level playing field because the course doesn't overly favor bombers. Mm. You know, yeah. it's, it's a bit more uh, of a level playing field for everyone. So, yeah, um, yeah I think. Uh, all better, you know. Not saying all bets are off because that's terrible. All bets are on this week, <laughs> you know. Um, I think the rule book could possibly be discredited a little bit this week. Well, it's, it's so tempting, isn't it? You got Scotty Scheffler. I mean, I think Scheffler, you know, was priced up. I might be wrong. I should really check before I say this. I'm pretty certain he started up on books. Yeah, one book had him up at sixty-six to one. Scotty Scheffler, Boyle Sports, you know. He's now in as short as thirty-three to one, but you can see why. He's played plenty of golf, hasn't he? He's from he's from Dallas, so he's this yeah. is his one of his home courses. Um, he's played some fantastic golf as a rookie, anyway. Um, he played a couple of events, didn't he, in Texas, where he finished first and finished second on the last one. So he's he's even been playing competitive golf in lockdown. Um, I just couldn't. I did, forty to one when he's been priced up with Ricky Fowler and Tony Fee now. You know, and, and and top elite players, I just couldn't touch it. But Scheffler, you can see this course suiting him beautifully. Colin Morikawa has been playing some just some superb stuff. The only trouble with Morikawa is if he does miss greens, he does struggle. Um, there are some really young guns. You know, Sung J M again. Is he just going to keep running and running like he has been? Um, there, there's a lot of young talent playing this this week that that are right top draw. If, you know, even the likes of Victor Hovland at, at 66 is. He started working with Pete Cowan, you know, on his short game because he admits that he's scrambling so bad. That's an interesting, uh, yeah, yeah. interesting development. Yeah, yeah, clearly focused on improving his game, which is good. Who's your shortest price then, Paul? Um, well, other than other than um, your second selection, which I'll let you go through because I've made no notes on him. Uh, my short, shortest selection I can talk to you about is someone you haven't mentioned already, um, which is Louis or who is Louis Oosthuizen. 66 yeah. to 1, um, 8,100 on DraftKings as well, which is interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, my approach this week was quite straightforward in that um, I wanted someone who was Bentgrass positive, so I've leaned heavily on your stats in your preview, actually. And also, going back to that point I made a second ago about players having a top 20 finish around here in the past, and only Scott in recent times breaking that trend. So literally, I've chopped the field down to players who have a top 20 here since 2002 and featured on your long list of Bengrass positive players who've had a victory on Bengrass greens. And that got me instantly down from a field of 148 to 33 players, which is a lot more manageable. Now, if the winner comes outside of those 33, of course, I'm stuffed. But um, that's going to be my approach this year, this this week. Um, and that left me with um, a number of players to really dig into, and one of whom was was Louis Oosthuizen, as I say. He passes the two tests. He's Bentgrass positive. He's got various wins on the European Tour and the Sunshine Tour in terms of um, in terms of Bentgrass greens. Of course, he's got the Open Championship win, which was on a Bentgrass mix. Um, he was nineteenth here on debut back in twenty twelve. Fifth here on his last start. Yeah. 
in 2018. Shot 64-68 over the weekend that, That's uh, right, yeah. that week, which was only beaten by two or three players at the very top of the market. Actually, he got to grips with the Greens that time. He was 10th for putting average in old money that week, um, which bodes well for him because clearly it's, he's, he's a more accurate type, high GIR player who tends to not putt particularly well. So seeing a strong putting performance for him on this track in the past is is positive. Started the season well again this year, um, second at the South African Open, fifth in Abu Dhabi. Um, and that backed up some good late season form where he'd finished third at the WGC HSBC Champions, sixth at Ned Bank, uh, second at the Aussie Open as well. Started well at the WGC Mexico, but faded. Uh, miscut the Honda and um, had his perennial injury issues at the players. So didn't play. Was it an injury? Yeah, I think he had a neck twinge as well. Yeah, and he played seven holes, didn't he? He was three over. Yeah, it's uh, it's with, with someone like Louis, and this is this is going to get this factored into his price and the reason why he's sixty six is is that he can and does have injury issues. However, the stat that really got me is the one that you quoted a second ago, Steve. Is his performance first time out. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely. He's, he's one of these players who can, and if he's had a rest and it's rested his back and it's rested his neck and he's rested his wrist or whatever the current ailment happens to be, he can come out of the blocks absolutely flying. As you said, he's won four times first time out. Going back. Yeah. 11, 11, 3, 11, 12, 13, 14, he won the the, the opener on the European Absolutely, Tour yeah. down in the South Africa. But even since then, let's take it to 2019 and 2020, shall we? As you said, he won. He was second in the South African Open, 12th of January this year. And then last year, 2019, played the Abu Dhabi Championship. I think you tipped him up that week, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And he was fourth in a high, high, high-class Rolex Series event on the European Tour in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So he he can he just he starts he, he just starts from a period of inactivity on the pace. Absolutely, that's fact. So he's, yeah, a, he's a great bet at sixty six. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to take a chance on a player at that kind of um, bracket with the extra places that are out there, I took him with mm. um, Boyle Sports early on with sixty sixes at eight places, a fifth yeah. of the odds. And for me, that as an each way punt, that was you know, I, I, if, if if he has a problem. You know, with his uh, with his fitness, then so be it. It's uh, it's not as if you're backing a, a short five or ten to one shot. No. So, and that's the thing with Louis. If he was priced up at twenty eight to one, you'd be going, oh, that injury, nah. I, I wouldn't, touch wouldn't touch him. It. But at sixty sixes, it's it's part of the price. Isn't Absolutely, it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, Louis. Um, yeah, agree Louis, with that. Louis on my team this week. Mm. Any okay. any players in that kind of bracket, Barry? Um, I have I've gone for Kisner. Mm. Just focus on that. Uh, you know, his ability to scramble, um, kind of affinity for that classical style course, you know, one, one that he's not um, at a big disadvantage because of a lack of length versus the Bombers. Um, he shows up nicely on your pre, you know, your rolling rankings, Steve, uh, for yeah. scrambling. Um, yeah. How relevant they are, I don't know. I, I think once a good scrambler, kind of always a good scrambler. Uh, yeah. So I agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, and just on that, I you know, God, I don't know. It's it's a hard week for me to get like super focused in on specifics, but so I've gone with a little bit of um, partisan personal vibes on it. You know, Gray McDowell, one of those nitty gritty, you know, those gritty golfers, uh, just mm. keeps grinding to get the job done. Um, so look, he's available at big odds. I just took the ten places with Paddy Power. I uh, got one hundred and twenty fives on that. Mm. Um, 
you know, those are the two real bets. I've I've thrown a, a couple of uh, a very small one on Zach Blair because just a fan of his, but you know, excellent putter, um, which could come in handy, which will, as we know, comes in handy around here. Yeah, um, I think I think the length of the course will help Zach as well because he does yeah. tend to struggle on these longer tracks. But yeah, uh, yeah. a seven one seven two kind of track is right up his alley. I think that's very playable for him. Yeah. And, I mean, just, just you know, the more I started thinking about the scrambling um, as an angle this week to kind of, let's say, lean on a little bit, you know, Shane Lowry's been tweeting about playing with, you know, Rory McIlroy last, sharpening his game. And as we all know, he's one of the best players in the world around the green. He's just got golden hands. Shane so, Lowry, though, he's been playing so, so well yeah. under the radar. It's unbelievable. When you when you look at my strokes gain numbers, Lowry's just all over it like a rash. T to green, he's, he's, he, he was ranking 13th in this field total strokes gain T to green before the um, suspension. Yeah, and like you say, top 20 for strokes gained around the green. Wherever I look, Lowry's name was popping up in these stats. But he's, the results weren't great. So clearly the putter hasn't been firing brilliantly. Well, do you remember what happened when his results weren't great and the game was sort of clicking before the Open Championship? He was putting in mm. three good rounds and one horrific one. He'd have, mm. a, he'd have you know, the stats would be good because the three good rounds uh, kind of weighted against the one bad round. But his, mm. you know, he, he might finish 24th or 33rd, you know, in one of those weeks. And he did that quite a lot and then just tidied it all up for that one week. That's what he tends to do, though, isn't it? Paul said that in the past. Um, he's actually ranking t- uh, to- strokes gain total in this field in the top eighteen, and you actually look at his results. They, you know, they're not stellar in any shape or form. But he's just playing consistent golf below the radar. Just needs the, just needs that that sharpness. You know, eleventh, thirteenth, twenty ninth, twenty first. His last four finishes this year. Do you think that uh, crazy? Because he's not going to have to defend his Open Championship title this no. year. Do you think no. that takes the pressure off him a little bit? Because you often get this kind of first major hangover, don't you? For but particularly up until the point that the anniversaries come round, the defence has got you know been and gone, and players mm-hmm. can start to relax a little bit more. And clearly, he's, he's going to have to wait until next July now to, to defend his title. Um, but whether you know there's an element of relaxation, or uh, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how Shane develops over the next say, few weeks. There's very few better ways to fine-tune your game than uh, practicing and playing money matches against Rory McIlroy. No. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Pro- probably as good a prep as you could have for this. Yeah. So that would suggest Shane's got a Florida base these days. Yeah, yeah, he's there. So, you know, I guess yeah. the, the only thing they're missing is the, the bench grass pudding, but I, I was, I was going to jump in earlier when we were discussing that. I was wondering, you know, is is there anything about is it easier to jump from Bermuda to Bankgrass or from Bankgrass to Bermuda? Like in my head, it'd be easier to jump to from Bermuda to Bankgrass because you're just de- deleting the grain from the equation. But when you're going from Bankgrass to Bermuda, you're having to add the grain into the equation. Mm. That, that's a, a yeah. an extra element of chaos, you know, as far as as my mind would think about it. We certainly get a jump, and Steve, uh, this call out, you know, a couple of months back at this at that point in. The year each year, Steve kind of highlights to me a few players who could well start to pop up, having moved from the uh, Bermuda greens to yeah. Bengrass, and then vice versa. You know, at different points in the year, um, the Wunderkind, yeah, Yoking Neiman. I expect him to pop up this week. Yeah, and if you look at his headline form, you'd say no. But, Awful. Um, uh, 
if he if he does, that kind of validates the point. And I think the point is that players can some players can adapt more readily. And you know, it may be the grasses they grew up at home or practiced on, you know, more as a their developmental points to their golfing uh, career. Or some people just feel more comfortable in it. Full stop. Just get on better with particular times. We shall see. Three for me. Um, statistically, this goal, guy is playing some great golf so far this year. Fifth in his last two outings at invitational status level tournaments, so big tournaments. Joel Damon. I took 80 to 1 on Damon, a point each way with ball sports on eight places each way. Statistically, he's just very impressive. 24 strokes going off the tee so far this year on the PGA Tour, 22nd on approach, 11th. Strokes gained tee to green. That is elite level playing from Joel Damon. You just look at his record as well. Second at the John Deere Classic. Uh, his first ever top 10 on the PGA Tour was um, at the nearby TPC Las Colinas. Past 70 where they used to play the Byron Nelson. I think he's bent grass positive, Damon. Um, I could just see that run continuing this week. He was also second after 36 holes at the Scottsdale, Arizona Open that they played in mid-April, when I think he went off at 11-2 favourite, something stupid like that. Uh, but Damon is playing some cracking stuff right now. I also got involved with Harris English, point each way. I took 66-1, to one, eight places with English. There was a little bit of 80-1 to one about. Let's just check, see if it's still available out there. 80-1 to one on Harris English. Would that be correct? I'm scrolling. See a blue seventy, 70 to one, seventy to one now. Harris English, if you were prepared to eat less places, English is another one, isn't he? He was second in a tournament they played on Sea Island last week with, I think he was partnered with Jim Furyk, but he's just playing some outstanding golf. Sixteenth at Scottsdale, seventeenth at PJ National, ninth at Bay Hill last time out. He shot a sixty-five, I think it was to be second to Hideki Matsuama at the Players' Championship on Thursday. Um, he's just he's just playing exceptional stuff. And I think he's finished fifth and second here in 2012 and 2016. So I think English, if he keeps that momentum going forward, lack of crowds might help him in terms of his mental state. Um, I, just can, I can see English just continuing to play very, very nicely. He's up 200 spots so far this year, Harris English. Mm. Yeah, playing some great stuff. stuff, and for me, I've always said this, Paul. Um, he's just—he he is that kind. If I see English at somewhere like a, a Houston or a Augusta, somewhere long par seventy-two, he doesn't really interest me. But a short par seventy, I think that's right in his wheelhouse, Harris English. The other one I've backed, who's more elite level, and I know that you've backed him as well, Paul. A very—I mean, I can't believe I've gone for Webb Simpson up top, and then I've backed him up with Matt Kuchar. It's like, Jesus, how boring. But it's that kind of golf tournament for me. Yeah. Just someone that hits fairways and has that um, old-style maturity just to keep grinding. And you actually look at um, you look at his record around here, Kuchar. Ninth, 16th, 2nd, 6th, 12th. Um, he actually has an average of 68.89, which ranks joint 4th for players who have played more than three renewals here. And then you look at his record at Harbour Town, Hilton Head, which, as he quotes, uh, he says, oh, here is not too dissimilar. It's tight, it's tree-lined. Um, 
the two courses are almost in you know identical. He's finished tenth, seventh, first, fifth, ninth, eleventh, and second at Harbour Town. So you know, I just think it's right in Kuchar's wheelhouse. Second at Riviera back in February, which was his second last outing, where he um, finished second at Tigers Invitational Tournament. So he's clearly been playing some decent golf. And if you're looking at first season opening statistics, so again, looking at players that have had inactivity and how they do on their season opener, Kuchar has actually finished in the top 10 four times in his last 10 outings. So he can, he can hit the ground running early on. So yeah, Kuchar for me, Simpson and Kuchar up top, backed up with English and Damon at mid prices. Mm. Yeah, no, I like Kuchar. I think he's a... 43 think, years of age, Paul. Yeah, it fit, fits the bill on an awful lot of angles this week. And um, when I was doing... I, I my, my analysis was far more rudimentary than what you go through, Steve. But uh, the two players that ticked every box I was looking for were Webb Simpson, who oh, said I can't back, but we'll probably go and win now. Um, and Matt Kuchar were the, were the two that um, were um, ticking every single box. Um, I've got one one more that I've backed at longer price, um, who is Brendan Todd. Now, this goes back to a point you just made, Steve, about uh, TPC Four Seasons, Las Colinas, which I think holds a lot of correlation to this particular track. Um, Bentgrass Greens, par 70, um, 7,166 yards, Texas. It's, there's a lot of correlation there in terms of this particular track. 2014 was when he won that particular event. Um, and he was fifth here um, at Colonial that very same year. You go back, Brendan Todd was in 2014, he was um, around the top yeah. 50 in the world. And uh, he was, yeah. Clearly dropped off a little bit since, but then he's very, very close to getting back into the top 50. I think he's 54th right now, courtesy of those two wins at the back end of 2019. Mm. Uh, Bermuda Championship and um, the uh, Mike Over, wasn't it? That he won yeah, it back yeah. into 2019. And for me, it looked like he was consecutive, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, it kind of came, came from nowhere and then just went bang, bang, didn't he? Um, what is he on DraftKings, Todd? Uh, 6,800. Wow, he's going to be absolutely annihilated absolutely. at that price, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, going, oh, to form, he's going to form quite a few parts of uh, oh, my yeah. teams. Um, it looked like he was edging back to some form again before the break. He was um, mm. progressive form, 56th at the Genesis, 37th at the WGC Mexico, 18th at the Arnold Palmer before it all stopped. And again, going back to some requirements in terms of being an accurate type, that's exactly what he is. Um, his irons were off. That's the one thing you could read into his stats and why he wasn't playing particularly well at the start of this year prior to the uh, suspension. But he's had time, he's had three months to sort out his approach play and if he can get that sorted coming into this yeah. week, um, I think he's probably worth a punt at 150. So I'm quite happy to take that on personally. I'm not overly I'm not overly impressed with the price, but do you do you think there's anything in Christian Bezadenhut again this week? I, he won he, he's his European tour victories at Valderrama, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Tight, claustrophobic, bent grass green. Yeah, it is. I think um in terms of difficulty, I think he's more suited to a more difficult, lower or higher winning score effectively right, than, I've got than what we've yeah, got yeah. here. Um, more technical, yeah, something more technical, absolutely. So if it was um, six, eight under something like that, then yeah. I think that could be well worth a look for someone like Bazuiden Bezu- out. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, I, he was in the mix, wasn't he? I forget which event it was now at the start of the year, and um, 
and, and drifted away. And uh, I think he was in that in the mix at Bay Hill, wasn't he, with Hatton? Mm. But he he faded yeah, in the final right. round. I think yeah. it all got a bit too much for him on the PGA Tour. Yeah. The other thing was though, um, even because he he then got to play the pl- uh, the actual um, players, didn't he? And he shot a 65 in the opening round there. Yeah. You know, there was Bizaden Hoot, Harris English, and Si Woo Kim. Nod, nod, wink, wink, next week, RBC Heritage. <laughs> um, shot 65s with yeah. Matsuama's amazing 63 before they scrubbed the tournament. Yeah. So, you know, Bizaden Hoot, English, and Si Woo Kim. Nod, nod, wink, wink, next week, RBC <laughs> Heritage. They are, you know, they clearly found a little bit of form just before this all shot down. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's a very strong player, and he's a player that you should certainly keep on mm. keep in mind. I think, but yeah, for me, I've got him in that uh, technical category, which um, would be where I'm looking to back him over the uh, over the future when he pops up in those kind of events. Um, I'm gonna, I need to wait and see what the um, the draw looks like, but a couple of first round leader players that I'll be looking for. Uh, Rory Sabatini at 100 to 1, um, Charlie Hoffman, you'd never have guessed that, um, <laughs> 110 to 1. Uh, I, I get, going back to this link with uh, Las Colinas, Steve, um, Sabatini's yeah. got performed there, he's won there. Won um, there, yeah. yeah. He's been first round leader there in the past, I believe, or cl- very close to. Yeah, he was first round leader back in uh, 2003, it was. I know he's Slovakia's number one golfer, but clearly he lives in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes sense. These are his home courses, yeah, effectively. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, if 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 I I, I want an an early tea time, ideally. So I need to wait and see what the tea times look like. But he shot sixty seven at the players as well. Yeah, five look. under first round. So Sabatini, he, he's playing nicely. Well, I counted up Sabatini from his first round scores over the last thirty two starts. Nine of them have been top tens after the first day. So nine out of thirty two. He's one wow. of those players that really does go out of the blocks very quickly, um, and doesn't That's crazy. Yeah, it doesn't tend to do much from there. But uh, you know, as per Matt Every, if he can go out and shoot sixty three in the first round, he may well reward you, if not outright, for a share or at least an each way spot for first round leader. So hopefully, he gets a nice plum early tea time, and uh, we can fill our boots hundreds of one. Hmm. Anything else to add, gentlemen? I just we done? wanted to see could I get um, some odds on all four of Steve's golfers showing up on Thursday in beige chinos. <laughs> mm, yeah, true. I mean, like I, I can't, I can't argue that they, yeah. they are, they are plain, aren't they? Wow, Steve. Like, I mean, I could not have gone and picked four. But yeah, plain is the word. <laughs> the one I didn't add, which I'm sure I know, is, is is our friend Ryan Palmer, who's on my will never back again list. So I couldn't add Palmer to the team. Yeah, there's some, I tell, do, of the elite guys, the ones I came closest to but didn't tip up. Do, I think DeChambeau's got a chance. I mean, it's obvious enough. Um, he just doesn't seem to have been hitting it close enough pre-suspension. Uh, um, I think Patrick Reed clearly hits the ground running so so often at Kapalua. I don't think this will put him off. He's a Texas boy. I'd have thought winning at Colonial would be a big deal for him. The trouble with Reed is he's just so inaccurate off the tee. I think that eventually catches up with you around here and we, we know his short game's outstanding but if if he starts off hitting fairways I think Reed uh, is a proper proper contender yeah. the other one I always have a close look at at Colonial but never seems to get a top 10 here is Mark Leishman uh, th- those are the ones I really focused on at the top of the leaderboard yeah. but yeah yeah pretty pretty beige has to be said <laughs> 
Well, let's. It, I should. I should have added Jason Duffner. Yeah, well, oh. du- to, to be fair, <laughs> Duff- or Ches Reevy, someone like that. You know, you know. Really, really Duffner and Reevy. In terms of building my um, DraftKings teams, they're both going to take a mm. take a bit of ownership. I think. How many? How many? Yeah. Are you having a few pops at the millionaire? I am going to have a little go at it. Yeah. All this pent up frustration, Barry, of not having a play for the last three months, I will be um, attacking that one million dollar prize. So you may or may not see me next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he might be having to move his money in overseas yeah. from uh, from Boston. Yeah, good With problem to have. Good problem. Yeah, to have. it'd be awful, wouldn't, wouldn't it, just, eh? I won't be able to get him on Skype Monday morning. Paul, Paul, where are you? And he's like, no reply whatsoever. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure actually pulling this podcast together this week. So I'm sure it, within a few weeks, if the PGA Tour is still playing, it won't feel like a pleasure anymore. But it's been so good after these uh, 90 days to uh, talk to you guys and to actually mm. get into the golf betting this week. It's been absolutely fantastic. Yep. I appreciate your time, gentlemen. No, I enjoyed it. Best of luck, chaps, with your bets and your teams this week. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Golf, full tournament golf on TV. Let's go. Can we twist your arm and get you on next week for the RBC Heritage? I, I, we have to, like, because we've got so many tearful stories about Siwoo Kim and the year. <laughs> I mean, how, how could we not? It's got, it's got to be. How, how can you ignore how that? How could we not relive that? <laughs> Classic stuff. Right. I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you to listeners. As I say at the top of the show, uh, subscribe to the show. And if you could leave us a Apple podcast review, that would be so appreciated. All of the content that we've been discussing today available with via links in the description box. Goodbye. Thanks to you.